Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning again. Um, wanted to uh, ask a question. Have you read any good biographies lately? I enjoy reading biographies, and uh, I have some favorites, so if you need a list, let me know, but but we learned so much from, um, from uh, biographies, from reading about how people sort of organize their lives and, and uh, lifted up their lives. One of the longest books I've ever read was Billy Graham's biography called Just As I Am. And uh, I don't know, it's 1,200 pages or something, but he lived 99 years, so you get to do that, you know? Um, but you know, John Adams by David McCullough is a spectacular biography. Uh, Amazing Grace, Eric Metaxas writes great biographies, but they, we can learn a lot from biographies, and I was struck this week as I was uh, looking at that, that there was this one great quote, a famous English sculptor named Henry Moore was asked a fascinating question by literary critic Donald Hall. Now that you're 80, you must know the secret of life. What is it? Moore paused ever so slightly and, and with just enough time to smile before answering the secret of life, he mused, is to have a task, something that you do your entire life, something you bring everything to every minute of the day for your whole life, and the most important thing is it must be something you cannot possibly do. And, and, and he said that's the secret. That's the secret of life, to give yourself completely to something, to make it your focus every minute of the day, uh, and it needs to be something you can't possibly do. And, I, and I, I think that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us in the book of Philippians, that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and to know Christ is worth everything that we have. Uh, To know Christ is worth every moment of our day. It's worth our full attention. It's worth our full time, uh, our full focus. And he's been instructing us in what that means. Last week, we were talking about this idea that that Paul gave his resume. He, He said, you know, that I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, that that he, he said, as, you know, as for righteousness, I was a Pharisee. I knew the law better than anybody else. I, I followed the law more strictly than anybody else. He said, as of zealousness, I persecuted Christians. I was trying to do away with the church. And he goes on to give this resume, this impressive list of things that he's accomplished in his life uh, and what he's done. And then right at the, the peak of it, he says, and I count it all as worthless. I count it all as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That he says, take every good thing that I've ever done Take every impressive part of my resume, of my biography, of who I am, and he said, I want you to know I count it as garbage for the worth of knowing Jesus. That Christ has so overwhelmed me, he is so much the focus of my life, he is so much what I value and who I value in my life, that everything else pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. And then he begins what we're gonna look at this morning in verse 12 of Philippians 3, and he says this, that not that I've already obtained this, 
or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm just gonna stop there for a second so we are really clear about this, that, that he says that I, not that I've already attained it, so not that I've already arrived, but what I do, he says that I'm not perfect yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. And this is one of the great truths that we learn from the Apostle Paul that we need to have cemented in our hearts and our minds that all of this is because of Jesus. It's not what I've done. It's not because of my great you know, religious fervor. It's not because of my discipline. It's, it's not because of how good of a person I am. But I press on. I do all this because, Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. I take hold of the promises of Christ because Christ has taken hold of me. Christ took hold of my life. And that's why I do it. Well, he continues on to say, uh, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, any, <laughs> and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. It's not that I've already obtained this, but I am pressing on, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on for the goal. Now, he's given us the goal in in chapter three, in Philippians three, verse 10, that the goal of his life, the goal that he presses for, the goal that, that he wants more than anything else, what he's giving his life to is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, we talked about it a couple weeks ago that this idea of to know Christ is, it's not to know a lot of things about Jesus. It's not to be an expert uh, on all the details about who Jesus is and all the passages, all the scripture, all the verses that go along with that. But the idea that know is a very personal word. Uh, know, when I know him, it means I know him personally. I have a relationship with him. And what Paul says is that what matters above all else is my personal relationship with Jesus and in his resurrection. And we talk about the idea that the resurrection ties everything together for us as followers of Jesus because we believe in the resurrection. So if the resurrection is true, all the rest of this is true and I can give my life to something that's bigger than I ever dreamed. I give my life to Jesus and I wanna know him personally. I wanna know him more and more and more and more because there is nothing close. There's nothing that compares to knowing Jesus. There's nothing in the world of more value, of more power, that offers more peace, that offers real life, than knowing Jesus personally. And and we talked about the idea, don't exchange knowing about him for knowing him. That it just doesn't work. It's not a good exchange. But he offers us this privilege of knowing him. So he says to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And he says the great, the great goal and the great prize is to know him and his resurrection and to be with him. Uh, the, so we have the great confession of the Apostle Paul that I really appreciate, and that is that he says, I haven't arrived yet. I, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. God's not finished with me yet. 
And I'm really grateful for that because that's my story. And I would assume (laughs) it's your story too, that God isn't finished with any of us yet, that he's still working in our lives. And so the question is, then, then what do we do? How do we pursue this? And he says that I press on. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on and I strain forward to know Jesus, to to have that relationship with him. God is not finished with us yet. And and it reminds me always when I read this of Ruth Graham Bell, or Ruth Bell Graham. Uh, You recall, you know, this week was a powerful, all of the, the memorial service for Billy Graham but Ruth, his wife, was born in China, a missionary parents, and, and uh, she saw this sign on the road one day, and she was so taken by it that she wanted it put on her tombstone. And so on Ruth Bell Graham's tombstone, it says this, end of construction, thank you for your patience. <laughs> if that's a great paraphrase of the Apostle Paul, saying God's not finished with me yet, I haven't arrived yet, Another interesting thing about Paul is that Paul was absolutely convinced in the return of Christ. You know, when uh, we talk about this in communion, that when when Jesus gave him the cup, he said, drink this. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me until I return. So very early on, he said, it's important that I go. It's important that, that these things happen, but I will return. And the apostle Paul believed that Christ would, would return. He believed in the imminent return of Christ. And most scholars would say that Paul prob- thought that, that Christ would probably come in his lifetime. And it gave him a sense of urgency and it gave him a sense of passion because he lived his life as though Christ would come any time. He planned, uh, he made his missionary journeys, he did all of that, but he did it with a sense of urgency and passion because he thought Jesus could come any moment, any day, and I need to be ready, but I need the world to hear about him. I need to do as much as I can for his kingdom before that happens. And it gave him this great sense of urgency and there's something about that that we carry with us, that that we live in this time where we know that Christ, it's closer now. The return of Christ is closer now and do we have that sense of urgency in our lives that we plan, we pray, we work, but we do it with the urgency and the passion knowing that Christ could come at any time. Or have we sort of forgotten that? We sort of begun to just sort of think, yeah, we don't, nobody knows. Uh, it could be any time. And, and we've kind of let that part of our passion, that part of our following Jesus sort of get dormant in our lives. And it robs us of that sense of urgency that Christ wants us to have. Paul believed that Jesus was coming back. He was absolutely convinced that he was coming back. And in that, he wanted to make sure, he wanted to make sure that he told as many people as possible. Now, Here's one of the important things about this passage. Paul, uh, he says, forgetting what lies behind. And one thing that we know, if you just look at the context of that passage, you know that the verses just prior to that, he gave this great resume. He gave this great profile of who he was. He talked about being a Hebrew of Hebrews. He talked about being a Pharisee, a zealot for for his religion, for the faith, and all those kinds of things. And he said, but, you know, I count them as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. And, And so we know that, that all of the good things, all of the rules that he kept, all of the prestige that he got in his life, all of the recognition that he'd got in his life, all of those things, he said, I count them as lost for the sake of knowing Jesus. And so there's, that challenges us 
in our lives to say, if I built my life on my resume, if I built my life on all the good things, if, I, if I've kind of lived my life in a way that says that, that if the good that I've done sort of outweighs the bad, then I'm probably okay, or at least I'm better than the next guy. And we kind of live with this idea that maybe God grades on a curve, and if I can just be a little bit better than the next person, then I'm okay. And Paul thoroughly rejects that because we know Christ because he got a hold of us that it starts with him. And so he says that positive part, that, that you know, those, all of those great things about my life, I count them as loss for knowing Jesus. And some of you are like that. Some of you need to deal with that, that you've just gotten good at being good, been in church all of your life, you know all the stuff, and you just sort of roll with it, but you don't know him. It's not the passion or the focus of your life. Well, there are some of the rest of us, though, that are here this morning that we need to forget something else, that, that we have a past that, that's embarrassing. Uh, we have a past that's shameful. Uh, we, we have a past that, that sort of keeps us up at night sometimes, that the things that we've done, the things that we regret, the things that we wouldn't want anybody to know about us. And I believe that those words apply to those of us as well, that some of us need to forget you know, all the th- ways that we think we're righteous and better than other people, but some of us need to forget the things that we've done in our past that have caused shame and hurt and failure. Listen to Paul's story a little bit. In Acts 7, it says this, now when they heard these things, that, that Stephen, one of the, the early followers of Jesus, one of the early parts of members of the church, a deacon in the church, uh, he preached a sermon one day and he challenged all of these people and it says when the religious guys, when they heard these things, they were enraged and, and I love that, and they ground their teeth at them. You ever see Ground their teeth at them. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. That's an ancient form of execution. You drag somebody out of the city and everybody circles around him and they get rocks and they heave these rocks at him until they die. That's what they did with Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. His Hebrew name was Saul, but later on he would take the Greek name of Paul, and then he would later on become the Apostle Paul. But they laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, and as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And there rose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And Paul, who then was known as Saul, was part of that, was part of that execution, was part of that murder that day, and they all put their garments at his feet. First Timothy 1, verses 15 to 16 say this, that, that the saying Paul says to his protege Timothy The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. (laughs) That's who Paul says. Paul the apostle, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of all of them. I'm the foremost sinner. I'm the worst guy I know. 
But I received a mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. He says, Jesus saved me so that you could look at my life and say, even Paul can be saved. Even Paul can know Christ. Even Paul, even Saul can be forgiven. Acts 9, 1 and 2, it says this, that Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, referring to the church, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then we read in Philippians 3 that Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward, I press forward that he had things in his life that he needed to put behind him. It's not that we completely forget. It's not that we ignore those things. There's still consequences. There are still reminders of, of what we've done and, and how God has forgiven us that, that I think that guilt is something that's so powerful for us because God uses guilt not only to call him to himself but also to remind us of our need for him. He gives us a memory so that we can be reminded of how much he loves us and how much we need him, not so that he can keep us pounded down, not so that he can keep us defeated, but so that he can, we can constantly be reminded of the amazing, incredible, overwhelming, reckless love of Jesus for us. You see, all of this is for mankind, but it's for us as individuals too. It belongs to you this morning, not just me, not just some massive group of people someplace, but it belongs to you. And Christ says, I want you to know me that way. I want you to follow me that way. And so Paul fills in a little bit of his, his background for us, a little bit of his biography so that we can be in touch with how much he loves us. We can be in touch with how much he cares for us. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He's left his religious heritage, his pedigree behind, but he's also left behind the pain of what he did to the earlier followers of Jesus. And he gives us three word pictures of what that means. The first is forgetting, and the second one is straining, and the third one is pressing. Forgetting doesn't mean to obliterate the past, but it's a continually forgetting and reckless centering of our energies and interests on the course that is ahead of us. He's saying that, I, that I, I get it, those things happen, but what I'm focused on now is where I'm going. I focus on knowing Jesus. I'm focused on my following, uh, following him. And then he says, and I'm straining forward. Here, Paul uses athletic terminology. So we just had the Winter Olympics, right? And one of the most amazing things about the, uh, watching the Olympics was uh, how somebody who's just, um, you know, cross-country skied like forever, and shot a gun in the middle of it, and they get to the finish line at the same time, and the person that gets the gold medal is the person that stretches and gets their ski out in front of the other guy by just like a hundredth of a second, and it's the difference between a gold medal and a silver medal because of how far, how hard he strained forward and pressed forward, and he gave himself completely to that finish line, and Paul's saying, that's how I'm gonna live my life, that I'm gonna strain forward, I'm gonna press forward, but the goal isn't a gold medal. The goal is Jesus. The goal is, is eternal life with him. The goal is that not only will I press on now, but I experience eternity with him, that someday he's gonna call me home and I'm gonna be with him and I'm gonna press on until I get there.
That's the calling that he's called to. That's what he's given us. Um, you know, all of this straining and pressing kind of sounds, might sound to some of you fanatical, right? See, that's the part about Christian, I, and I, this is part of the stuff I get really uncomfortable with because those guys are always talking about, you know, press on and strain the forward, and it just feels a little bit fanatical to me. It feels a little bit over the top to me. And, and I was reading uh, author uh, Tim Keller, and here's what he says about fanatics. The problem with fanatics is not that they're too intense, but they're not intense enough. They're not intense about love. They're not intense about compassion. They're not intense about knowing Jesus. And when we talk about what it means to strain and to press forward, we're talking about what it means to know Jesus, what it means to go deeper, to give our whole lives to him, to be in, being in relationship with him and giving our lives away to him to allow him to be the most important thing in our lives, the focus. So here's an important question that you may wanna ask yourself. <laughs> when did I stop pressing? When did I stop running? At what point did I decide that it just was too much work to press forward? Maybe, maybe you just made that. Maybe you got to a certain point in your life where you thought, you know what, I'm, I, you know, I, I've, I've done this a long time now and, and it's time to coast. It's time to take a breather. That I've pressed long enough and, and, I'm, and I, I just don't think, I don't know if I can get any further. I, I, I don't feel like I have enough time left in my life to get any further and I'm just gonna let this one go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride this one out for a while. And the Apostle Paul doesn't give us the freedom to do that. That our whole life is pressing toward Jesus. It's not trying to achieve Jesus, it's trying to know Jesus, giving him our focus and our life and our attention and there's a huge, huge difference in that. When did you stop running? When did you stop straining forward and pressing toward the goal? When, when you hear a faith story, do you, or, or how about this, when you tell a faith story, when you tell a story about your life and your faith, do, do you tell stories of things that happened to you a long, a long time ago? Or, or do you tell stories of things that happened to you recently, yesterday, about your faith? Is your faith in the past or is your faith in the present? Do you ever have friends, the lights are getting here, do you ever have friends uh, um, that you feel like when you're talking with them that the best part of their life is way back in high school or someplace? And it seems like the stories that you always get and the, and the remembrances you always get are from sometime really far uh, long ago. Or do you talk with somebody, do you feel the difference when you talk to somebody and and it's fresh, it's what happened to me today, it's what I'm gonna do tomorrow, it's what my life is gonna be like, that they're still pressing forward, they're still straining forward, they're still giving their life away for the sake of Jesus to know him. It's still vibrant. I was, last September, I, I probably mentioned to you guys, I had a chance to go visit one of my old mentors, Bill Starr, he's 92 years old now, and I get to his house in, in uh, Idaho, and um, I walk into his, I walk into this little house, little farmhouse, and and uh, he comes wobbling out and sits down, and we're talking not even five minutes. And Bill says, wait a second, let me get my Bible. And he pulls out his Bible, and he says, you know, this morning I was reading in James 5, and it just struck me. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, when I'm 92, I wanna get struck with the Bible. I wanna get struck by your word. I still wanna be reading your word and go, oh, man, I hadn't seen that. And he's reading me from the, from the gospel, he's reading me from the book of James in the New Testament, and tell me how the Lord just touched his heart that morning and how it was 
revelation for him, and I'm thinking, oh, I wanna be like that when I'm, well, if I get to 92, which is rather doubtful, but I wanna be like that. I wanna live my life that way. I wanna continue to press forward in, in my life for the sake of Christ. That's what, that's what the Lord has for us. That's what he wants us to do. That's real life. D.A. Carson, another theologian, made this comment. He said, Christians should never be satisfied with yesterday's grace. That it's always about what the Lord is teaching us now. And, and you know, <laughs> it doesn't mean that we get it right all the time. Otherwise, we wouldn't need grace, right? So I, I don't get it right all the time, but I know where to go. I know what to do with it. I know to seek forgiveness. I know to make it right with the Lord. I know to continue to press on for the sake of Christ, not for me, but for the sake of Christ. Now let's look at the last few verses in chapter three. He says, brothers, join in imitating me, which is a fascinating comment, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you, uh, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their mind set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, uh, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul says, I'm not perfect, but I have a couple of things figured out that I'm gonna press on. And here's what he says, and I love this. He says, imitate me. Now, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's a good one too, right? And that kind of makes sense. Okay, I get it now, Paul. You're not being arrogant. You're not being conceited. You're saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But here he says, imitate me. And, and what I love about this is that he's saying it's not that I'm perfect, it's not that I'm God at all, it's not that, I, that, that I'm living a perfect life, but he says if you imitate me, you will see somebody whose whole life is given to Jesus, whose whole life is focused on knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, and yeah, I failed, and yeah, there are things that I need to forget, and I am not perfect yet, but I am pressing on, and I can relate to that kind of a person because I'm not perfect yet, but I wanna press on in my life. I wanna strain forward to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want my life to be about that. And if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, I would hope we would all say that's what we want our life to be about, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, to know him intimately and to grow in that, to stay with that, to give our lives to that. Because he says, he says that, become, that eventually, we're with Christ. Our citizenship isn't here. Trying to be accepted and trying to be approved here is, is the wrong goal, the wrong focus, but what we know is that our citizenship is in heaven with Christ. That's where we belong, and he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, that all of this ends uh, in being in the presence of Jesus, that what really matters is knowing that eventually I'm gonna stand face to face with Jesus. So here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. Who in your life, as you were growing up, that their encouragement to you, that their, you know, attaboy, girl to you, meant the most? To get them to slap you on the back and say, way to go, great job, you're awesome. Who, who in your life did that to, for you that, that meant the most to you? 
It's a pretty powerful thing in our lives, isn't it? To have people in our lives that, that believe in us, that, that encourage us, that, that pat us on the back, that say congratulations, way to go, all of those things. And here's what Paul says. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward. Uh, I press on to know Christ and the power of his resurrection so that someday when I come face to face with Jesus, I hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I think the words that I long for is that someday I hear, well done, Larry. Good job, man. Those are the words that, you think of all the encouragement, just a prelude, all the encouragement we can get in our life is just a prelude to those words. Well done, Larry. Well done, put your name in there that we long, we ache to hear those words from Christ who loves us and gave himself for us who means everything to us in this world. To hear his well done will trump any other encouragement, any other praise, any other recognition that we've ever gotten. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we are so grateful. As we've entered this part of our worship to consider your word, we thank you, Lord, first and foremost, that it's your word and it's living and breathing and it's true. And Lord, that we can take these words into our hearts and our minds and you will use them to transform us, Lord. And so here's what we ask simply, Lord, that we would receive your word this morning, that we would forget what lies behind, that we would look forward to who you are in our lives, Lord, that it's knowing you and the power of your resurrection, that you would give us a new focus and a new energy and a new determination to seek you. And Lord, we will be careful to give you the honor and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So, uh, I'm going to ask you to do two things. What I'm not going to ask you is go read your Bible more and pray better. And uh, don't forget to be here every Sunday, okay? You know the national average on church attendance is twice a month? And that's people that are regular church people, right? But we're not going to do that. Here, here's the two things I want you to do. I want you to forget what lies behind and I want you to strain, I want you to press forward to know Jesus. And, and then make your determination in your heart to know Christ and based on that, decide what to do. Don't read your Bible because I tell you to read your Bible. But if you pick up your Bible, you read it because you wanna know Jesus and you wanna know him more and you wanna know him deeper. And you know that one of the best places you could possibly go is to his word. Do those things. What is it going to take to know Jesus more? And here's the second thing. If you want to press on, then get with some people who are pressing on. You, you can't do it by yourself. You, you can't do it on your own. 
that, that we need each other. And, and so I had a friend that once said, if you want to be really on fire for Christ, then find a bunch of people that are really on fire for Christ and hang out with them. And it's true if you really want to know Jesus that find some people who have the same focus, who are focused on knowing Jesus and be with them. Uh, encourage each other, press in with each other and get to know them. And if we can help you with that, uh, we would love to do it. I'm going to pray that simply that the Lord would encourage us, that he would remind us of what it is that we need to forget and that he would give us the, he would give us the passion and the encouragement to press on to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. I love you guys. God bless. Have a great day.